Well, if you're just joining us this morning, we are working our way through a sermon series on the life of King David. King David is one of the most significant figures in all of the Bible and is indeed one of the most well-documented persons in the entirety of the ancient world. There is more written about King David than any other ancient figure, whether in the Bible or in any other form of literature. And there's a sense in which we can really truly only understand who Jesus is as the son of David if we understand the person of David and the kingship of David and even the sin and repentance and suffering of David. So with that in mind, we turn our attention to God's word. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we'll begin reading at verse 13 and we'll read through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed of adultery and murder, you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do something, he may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were, worship, were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was still alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. David said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may, may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. Lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold and in it was a precious stone and it was placed on David's head. 
And he brought out the spoil of the city, a great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, what a remarkable story. I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see Jesus, that we might see the wonder of the gospel. Lord, press these words deep in our hearts by your spirit. For We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This man went to war as a captain and returned as a private. After many years of unsuccessful work in business and the law, he launched a career in politics. It didn't go well. He was defeated in his first attempt to become a state legislator. He was defeated in his first run for Congress. He tried and failed to become the commissioner of the general land office. He was defeated in the senatorial election of 1854. He was defeated in his efforts to become vice president in 1856. He was defeated in yet another senatorial election in 1858. At one point, uh, he was so dejected that he sent a letter to a friend that read, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. His name? Abraham Lincoln. He got knocked down and he got back up. This man repeated a grade during elementary school, and when he entered Harrow School for Boys, he was placed in the lowest division of the lowest class. Later, he failed his entrance exam to the Royal Military Academy, not once, but twice. He was defeated in his first attempt to be elected as a member of parliament. He finally became prime minister at the age of 65, but... After defeating Adolf Hitler and the Germans in World War II, the English people voted him out of office. His name? Winston Churchill. Reflecting back on his remarkable career, he wrote, Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except the convictions of honor and good sense. Never, 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 never give up. This man was told by his teachers that he was, quote, too stupid to learn anything. He was fired from his first two jobs for being non-productive. As an inventor, he made 10,000 unsuccessful attempts at creating something that he called the light bulb. When a reporter asked him how it felt to fail 10,000 times, he said, I have not failed 10,000 times. I have not failed once. I have succeeded in proving that those 10,000 ways will not work. His name? Thomas Edison. 
This woman began studying to be an actress in the year 1927. After a few classes, the head instructor of her drama school told her that she should, quote, try another profession. Her name? Lucille Ball. This woman's novel was rejected by 12 different publishers before she finally found a publisher. Reflecting back on those dark days, she said, By every usual standard, I was the biggest failure that I knew. But she didn't quit. And because she didn't quit, the book that 12 publishers rejected went on to sell over 120 million copies. The film adaptation of her first novel earned more than a billion dollars, a billion dollars at the box office. Her name, J.K. Rowling. This man was the youngest and smallest of seven brothers. He was a lowly shepherd boy from the city of Bethlehem until one day, armed with a slingshot and five smooth stones, he defeated a giant named Goliath. At the height of his powers, he committed adultery, he committed murder, he was publicly rebuked by Nathan, the most famous pastor, the most famous prophet in all of Israel. When his son got sick, he fasted, he prayed, he went down on the ground begging God to heal his son. When his son died, he got back up and he went to church. His name? King David. In this life, you will get knocked down. You will suffer. You will fall. You will miss the game-winning shot. Someone who is in charge of hiring will tell you, you don't have what it takes. Do you know how many churches out there have told me that I don't have what it takes? A lot of them. Do you know how many churches out there told me that I do have what it takes? Just you. <laughs> At some point in your life, you're going to pass a note to that cute little girl or cute little boy in your math class, and you're going to write, do you like me, circle yes or no, and that little person is going to write, no. And they're going to underline it a couple of times just to make sure you know that they don't like you and your little heart is going to be broken. You're going to sin and someone is going to sin against you. We all get knocked down. The question is, how do you get back up? How do you get back up? Is it a question of will? Is it a question of determination? Is it a question of energy? Is it a question of effort? Do you need a plan? Do you need a strategy? Do you need mentors? Do you need friends? Do you need a mission? Do you need a Messiah? This morning, we're going to look at the story of David and Solomon. In this story, David got knocked down and he stayed down for a week. He spent seven days literally on the ground fasting and praying. He spent seven days in complete and utter agony. 
And then, after the week was over, he got up again. He showered, he shaved, he put on some clean clothes, he ate some breakfast, and he went to church. He started living his life again. How did it happen? How did he do it? Well, I think something happened to him on the ground. I think that that time that he spent on the ground changed his life forever. I think suffering made him a different person. I think suffering made him a better person, a more compassionate person, a more authentic person. He stopped using people. He stopped taking advantage of people. David met God on the ground. The same thing can happen to you. But, and this is the important caveat, it's not automatic. Sometimes the ground makes us angry. Sometimes the ground makes us bitter. Sometimes the ground fills us with self-loathing and despair. Sometimes people start to hate God on the ground. Why would God do, God do this? Why would God let bad things happen to me? Sometimes people start to hate themselves on the ground. I'm worthless. I'm a failure. I can't do anything right. The ground can make you or the ground can break you. The difference is what you believe about God. The difference is what you believe about yourself. The difference is whether you embrace God or whether you push him away. This morning, I want to talk about four things that helped David get back up off the ground. Four things that I believe will help you get back up off the ground. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the outline. Four things. Number one, remember God's pardon. Remember God's pardon. Number two, remember God's people. Number three, remember God's promises. And finally, number four, remember God's purposes. The pardon, people, promises, and purposes of God. Everyone gets knocked down. Everyone. David got back up again. Number one, remember God's pardon. Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, a little bit of the backstory there. If you were here with us uh, the last couple of weeks, you will be reminded that David's sin was the sin of adultery and murder. He had an affair, uh, committed adultery, with a woman named Bathsheba, who was his friend Uriah's wife. uh, Bathsheba conceived She got pregnant, and in order to cover this up, first David tried to entice his friend Uriah to go home to his house and to sleep with his wife, and then claim that the baby was Uriah's son. And when that didn't work, he committed murder. He sent Uriah to the hardest part of the fighting. He said, everybody pull back, Uriah will be killed, and then it's all settled, and I can take Bathsheba to be my wife. That's the background. And so, verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, verse 14, Because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Here's the question. Is God punishing David for committing adultery and murder? 
Is the death of David's son retribution? Is this revenge? Is God saying to David, yes, David, you've been forgiven, but remember, forgiveness isn't free. Does that sound like something that God would say? If you answered no, then you are correct, because that is not something that God would say. Throughout the scriptures, over and over and over again, we are reminded that Christianity is the one religion where it doesn't work that way. Christianity is the one religion where God justifies the ungodly. Christianity is the one religion where we do not pay the penalty for our own sins. Christianity says you've sinned, and because you have sinned, God says, my son will die. The blood of Jesus takes away your sins, not your blood, the blood of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering cannot break us if we remember that we have been pardoned. Suffering cannot break us if we remember that we have been forgiven. If you think, I am suffering because God is punishing me, if you think, I am suffering because I deserve this, you will go down and you will stay down. If, on the other hand, you remember the gospel, If, on the other hand, you remember God's words of grace, God's words of pardon, if you remember the words that Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you remember John chapter 3, and Zechariah chapter 3, and Zephaniah chapter 3, and Galatians 5, and Mark 16, and Psalm 23, and Luke 23, and Revelation 21, you will say to yourself, God loves me. He's always loved me. And nothing can separate me from His love. Not even suffering not even sin, because it's not about what I have done. It is ultimately about what Jesus has done for me. Who are you when you're lying on the floor? You're forgiven, not forsaken, forgiven. The question then comes, then why are you lying on the floor? Why are you suffering? Why exactly did God take the life of David's son? Why did Job suffer in the book of Job? Why did God take his sons and his daughters? Why did the apostles suffer? Why did so many people in the history of the Christian church suffer for their faith? Well, it's a difficult question, and when it comes to suffering, God doesn't give us pat answers. He resists simplistic, formulaic responses to the question of suffering and pain and evil, but let me suggest a possible explanation. Maybe suffering happens because God is molding us. Maybe suffering happens because God is shaping us. Maybe God uses suffering to make us more like his son, Jesus. Maybe in the economy of the kingdom of God, the way down is actually the way up. Maybe suffering is the best way to experience the depth of God's love. Now here's what I mean. 
No one spent more time on the ground than Jesus. No one suffered as much as Jesus did. No one was so fully and completely rejected and despised as Jesus was. And if that is the case, and it is the case, where do we go to become more like Jesus? Does the mountain make us more like Jesus? Or does the valley make us more like Jesus? Does prosperity make us more like Jesus? Or does poverty make us more like Jesus? Does pleasure make us more like Jesus? Or does pain make us more like Jesus? I've observed over the years that most people meet Jesus on the ground. Not when things are going well, not when they're happy and joyful and everything is going fine. Most people meet Jesus on the ground. I know people who've met Jesus in prison. I know people who've met Jesus in boot camp. I know people who've met Jesus in hospital rooms. I know people who've met Jesus in divorce court. I know people who have met Jesus in bankruptcy court. I know people who have met Jesus in nursing homes and funeral homes. And in this instance, I think God used suffering to introduce David to the suffering servant. I think David was meeting Jesus on the ground even though he didn't yet know Jesus' name. When the world knocks you down, remember God's pardon. Remember God's grace. If you do, the ground cannot break you. It can only make you more like Jesus. Number two, not only do we remember God's pardon, we remember God's people. Verse 16, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of his house stood beside him. Later on in the story, we'll read about David's servants in the New Testament. We call them deacons. David got knocked down, but he wasn't alone because the elders and the deacons were there. He was surrounded by the family of faith. He was surrounded by members of the church, a community of people who loved him and cared for him and would not allow him to suffer alone. My friends, if you have the church, you are never alone. If you get knocked down, the church will be there for you. I will be there for you as your pastor. Pastor David will be there for you. And Sean and Teresa and Kate and the elders and the deacons and life group leaders. You're never alone. There are people who are in this church who will pray for you and talk to you and encourage you and visit, or visit you. There are people who will watch your kids and babysit your dogs. There are people in this church who will bring you meals. When you get knocked down, and you will, I encourage you not to run away from God's people. Run towards God's people. Run towards the church. During the darkest week of his life, that's what David did. He was surrounded by elders and deacons. He remembered God's people. The third thing we see here, an encouragement, is to remember God's promises. 
There are at least three amazing promises in this passage. Did you see them? The first promise is the promise of life after death. Verse 23, but now the child is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Do you hear what David is saying? He's saying, not even death can separate me from my son. Not even death can prevent us from seeing one another again. Now, next week, Easter Sunday, as David mentioned, we're going to be talking about life after death. But more than that, we're going to be talking about something even better than life after death. We're going to be talking about life after life after death. See, the Christian hope is not that one day our souls will be separated from our bodies. The Christian hope is that one day our souls will be reunited with our bodies. That those who are in the ground as Jesus was in the tomb will come rising from the dead. Our souls which are in heaven will be reunited with our earthly bodies and we will live forever on the new earth. A place where there is no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. A place where no one will ever bury a child ever again. That's our hope. And the promise of the gospel is that we have that sure and persistent hope. Not because our our hope is based on the actions of men, but because our hope is based on the actions of God. Specifically, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, our suffering will not last forever Separation does not last forever. We have a future and a hope because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we're reconciled to God. When life knocks you down, and it will, it absolutely will, we can get up every time because of Jesus. The second promise is the promise of peace. Verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. Now it's hard to read this in the English translation, but the word Solomon is actually a Hebrew word that's related to the word Shalom. Literally his name is Shalomo. Shalom, Solomon. The word Shalom means peace. The word's word shalom means wholeness it's a world where everything that is broken is put back together again it's a world where god's will is done on earth as it is in heaven what we learn here is that life is hard but eventually shalom someday solomon someday the king's son is coming to make all things new. Who is Jesus? He is the son of David, the prince of peace, the prince of shalom, the better Solomon, who established the kingdom of God on earth as it is forever, and he shall reign forever and ever. The third promise is the promise of love. Verse 24, And the Lord loved Solomon, And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. 
The name Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. God never stopped loving David. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in the son of David, he will never stop loving you. When we get knocked down, it can feel like God doesn't love us. When we get knocked down, it can feel like we don't have a future and a hope. When we get knocked down, it can feel like this world is nasty, brutish, and short. Don't believe it. Remember the promises of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those, my friends, are the promises of God. Don't forget them. Remember. Number four, last one. Remember God's purposes. And the final scene of the story, which might have seemed a little bit out of place as we read it, Joab, one of David's generals, went out to fight against the Ammonites. Now, that's significant because the first time that Joab went out to fight the Ammonites, David, the king, stayed home. He wasn't on mission. He wasn't fulfilling his calling. This time, he's on mission. This time, he's fulfilling his, his calling. This time, David is back and he's joining the fight. When we get knocked down, it is so easy to think, life has no meaning and I have no purpose. My family would be better off without me. And the church would be better off without me. And the world would be better off without me. That is not true. You have a mission, you have a calling, you have a purpose to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever as you love, as you serve, as you work, as you worship, as you raise your children, as you provide for your family. The world needs you. The church needs you. When the world knocks you down, don't stay down. Get up and fight. Everyone gets knocked down. David did. But he remembered the promises of God. He remembered that he was pardoned. He remembered God's people, his purposes. And then, because Jesus is alive and because the gospel is true, he got up again. He recovered his joy. He recovered his love. So can you. God loves you. When God sees you, he doesn't see a failure. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. And nothing can separate you from his love. Let's go to God in prayer. O oh Lord our God, we thank you that you are faithful. 
We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, I know this has been a, a hard season for many of us. It's been a, a hard season for our church. It's been a hard season for our nation. It's been a hard season for many of our families. Lord God, we pray that you would lift us up again, that you would bring us back to that place of assurance and love and mercy and joy. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.